0: Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. Hello, my friends. Since today's show is all about mental health, I am going to share a little thing that I've been doing. Um, I've been I've been feeling pretty stressed out lately. Um, I talked about how I've been tracking my heart rate variability. If you follow me on Instagram, um, you probably have have seen some of my stats. I talked, I did an entire video where I talked all about heart rate variability and, um, yeah, it's just uh, under a lot of stress, like where the type of stress where you can feel like the stress and the anxiety in your body and you're like having a heart, you none of your tools are working right. So one of the things that I've been implementing that I've found helpful is this, um, almost like this micro dosing of adaptogens. That is totally something I just made up. But I got the idea uh, when I interviewed Amy McKelvey. She's an herbalist. She's been on the show a couple of times. And she talks about having this relationship with plants where you're just weaving different herbs kind of into your day-to-day life. So I've been doing that a lot more with adaptogenic herbs and really specifically with nervines as well. Um, and I have to shout out our show sponsor, Organifi because their products is one of the ways that I do this. So I'm sipping on like lemon balm tea and different uh, chamomile tea, different types of nervine, calming herbs throughout the day. I am also doing tinctures and working with some of these plants into the foods that I'm eating and then utilizing Organifi powders. For example, the gold powder, that's kind of been something about like the warming spice that has just been so wonderful because we've been hammered with cold and snow up in the Northeast, like so many other uh, so, so many other people. And so I really like the warming, grounding spices in the gold powder. Uh, but they also include lemon balm and turkey tail and reishi. And so these medicinal mushrooms in the lemon balm itself just helps to calm down the system. They really support the overall endocrine system, the nervous system, and just something that you could potentially try is to microdose, weave in smaller amounts of these different herbs throughout your day-to-day existence, especially if you're feeling kind of high strung more often than not. Now, of course, you guys can reap the benefit of our Organifi code. If you use code FUNK, you save 20% off of your entire order. So pretty sweet deal. And if you're using this stuff and loving this stuff, I would love to see you on Instagram. Tag me, show me what you're doing. Show me what kind of concoctions you're making. I always love to see little elixirs to give me ideas throughout the day. All right, without much further ado, here's the interview today. Hey friends, I got somebody on the line for you today that I think you're gonna be really excited to hear from um, because a lot of you have been asking about EMDR or anytime I post about EMDR, you've been really excited um, to hear and learn more about it. And some local listeners might be familiar with who we've got, Carly Janay. She is a licensed clinical social worker here in New Hampshire and also a graduate of the UNH Master's in Social Work. And she obviously helps people on individual levels, but she also has a keen interest and motivation in understanding and affecting change within larger powers at play. Carly considers therapy to be a form of emotional activism. So we'll have to tuck into what all of that means today. And um, Carly, thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh my gosh, such an honor, Aaron.
0: All right. So before we get into all of the goodness you're going to bring to the table, <laughs> I want to first explain um, why I sought out EMDR because I think probably a lot of folks who are familiar with therapy might find themselves in the same boat. Um, I, when I was seeing a therapist ongoing, you know, weekly appointments, this is a few years back, it was really, really helpful. But at a certain point, we sort of reached the end of the road. And she recommended to me that I seek out somatic work, somatic release work. And at that point, I wasn't really sure what that meant. And it, I didn't really have the, um, I don't know, desire and tenacity at that point to go looking for a somatic release therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, At that point, I found breath work, which was really, really helpful in accessing some similar stuff. But I noticed lately or more recently in the past year or so that I was getting these really visceral triggers to things. So I would have really acute triggers. And then I would like physically feel the energy in my body. Like I would get really upset and couldn't shake it off. And, um, I started, I sought out another therapist and we started working together and I kind of felt like I'm a pretty self-aware person. This isn't my first foray into inner work. Like I, I really understand the connections and sort of like why I am the way I am, like on a logical level. Yeah, there's can, no
1: lack of intellect, Erin. <laughs> I
0: can I can process it. I can understand. And what I felt like, I, I use this analogy of a dirty mop that like, you know, those mops with the, the ropes, right? Where you're just kind of like moving dirt around, but you're not actually cleaning the floor. You're not actually mm-hmm. like removing the dirt from the floor. You're just making it look a little bit better. And I felt that I sort of... Um, had reached like i i think talk therapy is wonderful and so beneficial but i also think like with anything it has its limitations and what tools do we have at our disposal when we might butt up against those limitations and that's when i i sought out emdr because so many of my friends had had such profound experiences with EMDR um, my cousin refers to it as magic and I think that's pretty <laughs> apt right I love that and so I was like I think this is this is what I need and it's been so powerful and so helpful to access those that like physical feeling in my body when I get when I hit these really hot spots of emotion so to speak so it is another tool. That I've added to my tool bag. My tool bag is pretty robust <laughs> at this point, Carly. But it's been a really instrumental tool. So I would love—I think it's—it's um, it's gaining in popularity. Maybe we should say more people are familiar or have heard about EMDR. So oh, I would love sure. love to talk into that conversation. Um, but there was when in when we were talking, Carly and I know each other professionally. We we I, I send a lot of clients to her and vice versa, and. Um, when we were talking about what we would discuss on this episode, you had the idea of uh, entitling it Mental Health Starting at the Roots. And I love that, but I want you to explain what that means and w- w- what is that all about and what does the roots entail when we're thinking about mental health?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And I think, uh, you know, part of the reason, Erin, that you and I were originally brought together two 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 and a half years ago back when you know like you could have coffee in public
0: <laughs> yeah good times
1: um i remember having heard about your work in the community and being so drawn to it because it felt really similar to the way that i approach supporting my clients in therapy it would make the comparison now i think that the work i do with people is the emotional equivalent of what a functional practitioner who supports the physical body by understanding what is happening beneath the surface does. You know, it's not enough to just try to get rid of anxiety, for example. We really need to understand where it comes from, how it serves us. So the metaphor that I like to use, because in addition to loving my job as a therapist, I'm also an avid gardener. And this might sound kind of silly and nerdy, but it's what I found works. So if you have a garden and you're, you're getting into it for the first time in a while, you'll probably notice that a lot of weeds have sprouted up, right? And if you snip the weeds at the stems, you won't see the weeds for a few days, but when they do grow back, they'll usually grow back with vigor. If you take the time to go in and dig up the root system, you'll have a nice clean slate to work with, but not necessarily any other growth. But if in addition to digging up the weeds root systems, you amend the soil with high quality compost and nutrients, then you're starting to get this thing where like the bedrock of your garden will be more likely to support the odd seed that gets blown in. So now imagine that you take the garden that's clear of weeds and has healthy soil and you intentionally sow the seeds that you want to grow. And with thoughtful tending and the right elements, you'll end up with this really beautiful garden that's full of deep understanding and care and beauty. So I'd say that's really what I mean when I say start at the roots. We go in and we heal the deep wounds and while they're th- we're there, we build the good things up.
0: It's so similar to the, the concepts of uh, root cause medicine, root cause resolution that we practice in functional medicine. And I think it's, you know, I, I'm t- currently teaching about SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth with my practitioner training right now. And there we have to investigate the why, the cause. Um, and while we do that, it's also okay to support symptom management, right? And get somebody feeling better. Even with anxiety, it's like we can take a top-down approach. I was just talking about nervines and adaptogens, like doing the practical thing to support the system in the acute moment. But we also, more importantly for the longevity and sustainability, have to work it from the ground up. And so I, I think the garden analogy is something that people can really wrap their heads around.
1: Yeah, like while we're in there rooting around, why not put what we really want there in the first place, you know? For sure. And yeah. also help to assess where things come from. You know, mm-hmm. if you're
0: digging things up by the root, that's, that has been something that's been really helpful is I, I'm good at like acknowledging the things that don't work, right? Mm-hmm. And, and trying to work on releasing those and let go of those. What I haven't historically been great at and I've realized recently is like, well, what do I want to fill in with? If I'm taking something out, something else
1: has to come in its place. Right, right. Yeah, and I think, you know, what that sort of brings me to is, and if we're going to start exploring what we want to fill in with, we need to be aware of the circumstances under which the initial fill happened in the first place. So I think, you know, lots of people enter into therapy to talk about things going on in the present. And right now, a lot of people are feeling the stress so understandably of the pandemic and political unrest and social shifts that have been necessary in a long time coming, but mean change for people. And, you know, coming to therapy during a time like this is perfectly understandable. But when a person comes to work with me, I'm going to ask them to describe for me exactly what happens now in the moment, right? Like that's the symptom stuff. What What's the symptom when the stress and stressor is happening so that we can trace it back in time. So if someone said to me, for example, like, oh my gosh, I've been home with my partner and kids for almost a year and I don't think I can take it anymore. A cognitive behavioral therapist, and like, by the way, I'm so not bashing cognitive therapists. There are times when changing your thoughts and behaviors is so necessary, but there's tons of information out there about CBT. And if you wanna learn about that type of work, um, like it's just not gonna be this moment. So cognitive therapists will put a lot of focus on what you can be doing right now to change how you're feeling. There's a lot of focus on change and solution, which is great, but if we're always focused on the outcome, and I'm going to steal one of my favorite Aaron hole lines here, we end up missing the forest for the trees, right?
0: Yes. Um, I always love when people quote me on my own show. (laughs) It's very good. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly right. And with EMDR work, there's so much much memory work Mm -hmm. involved. I mean, what else do I call it? Memory work? Mm -hmm. Um, Why are... Well, why are they such an important part of the therapy? Is this part of the the root cause, so to speak? And also, maybe we should back up a step and say what EMDR actually is.
1: Yeah, sure, I'd be happy to. Um, so, EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing, and um, and you know our 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 memory networks, and I'm. Let me explain EMDR and then I'll go back up and talk a little bit more about memory because we can't really talk about one without the other. But um, EMDR, in EMDR, we're going in and we're using something called bilateral stimulation, which more or less means alternating stimulus, either tapping or music or eye movements to support the brain and the nervous system while we visit specific memories that hold charge. So we bring the memory alive, which activates the memory network, and then we safely move through the memory until it is able to connect in with other, more adaptive memories and experiences. And oftentimes, as this connection is happening, what we see is new insight, better understanding, releasing of emotion, and and just a greater overall sense of self and agency. I don't know how nerdy you want me to get here. (laughs) Like, are are you you in for the science? Go all the way in. Okay. So, and I love it. Like, I, I so geek out over this stuff. I have this enormous smile on my face right now. There are several theories out there about why EMDR works, but the leading research search suggests one, probably one of two things. And in all honesty, it could be a combination of both. And it could also be things that we haven't discovered yet. So the first theory is that when we alternate stimulating the right and left hemispheres of the brain, we support the system to enter into the same state that it enters into when we're in REM sleep. At the stage of sleep, when we process things that have happened over the day and send it to long term memory. The other theory is that the stimulation taxes our working memory just enough that when we go to the traumatic memory, we can safely hold space both in the past and in the present, which allows the memory to move through. Either way, what we know happens is that the memory that has been stuck in this unprocessed Way in long-term memory. And again, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get a little bit more into that when I talk about memory specifically. But now it gets released and integrated in with the, with the rest of our memory networks. And that's the healing.
0: So does it kind of lose the charge in that way?
1: It's a great way to say it. It loses the charge. It doesn't mean that when you think about the memory, you're not going to have any emotion tied to it, right? Because emotions are really important flags for us. I wouldn't want to take emotion away from somebody, but it's going to take away that visceral feeling that you were talking about, that charge.
0: Okay, that makes
1: sense. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, and you know, that's, in in my opinion, part of the problem with present-focused therapy is that if present-focused therapy is trying to change the thought, the behavior, the experience in the moment, what I actually think we really need to do, and this is what the type of therapy that I offer, including EMDR does, is deepen our understanding of that. And how do we do that? We have to bring it alive in the room so that we can encourage safe exploration of other associated memories so that we can develop understanding of where that feeling was born, who taught us, how is it trying to protect us? Um, Yeah, I don't know, would an example here be helpful?
0: I think so, because what I found surprising about EMDR, I was assuming that I was going to have to go like mucking up in like the big, huge, devastating, traumatic memories. And yeah. it was very surprising to me that that actually wasn't the case. It was like these little like micro memories or like these, these things that have been like stuck in my brain that like I know it's a memory. I know it's there because I think about it from time to time, but didn't. in in my present time doesn't register as like, ooh, a big big trauma.
1: Right. And I think that that's really one of the nice things about EMDR and it can be really appealing to people is we're not, this isn't talking about the trauma, right? Like it's you holding a foot in the past, holding a foot in the present, letting the trauma move through you. You're touching in with somebody, me as the therapist, because you need a safe holding ground and there might be moments where, you know, a little offering is helpful, but really you're just trusting your system. So if I go back to that example of the partner who's been home for the past year and just can't take it anymore, if I were doing EMDR with them, I'd probably start by asking them to give me like an emblematic example of a time when they felt recently like they just couldn't take it anymore. And through my questioning, we might be able to discern that the last time she really felt this way was when she was making dinner or when they were making dinner and the dog was barking and the kids were yelling and my pasta water was boiling over. And I started feeling this rising tension in my chest. And suddenly it felt like I was going to boil over. And I started to think there's no way I can handle all of this. I can't do any of it right. I'm a bad partner. I'm a bad parent. And then I just start crying. And I don't know about you, Aaron, but even as I describe that example right there, I can feel it. And maybe it's because we just adopted a puppy, as you know, right before Christmas. So like that struggle feels really real to me. That feeling's alive in my life. But once we have it alive in the body, I would ask them to hold that experience. And you're, you know what this feels like, right? Ask them to float back through time to find other times in their life that they felt that way, eventually aiming for the earliest time they felt that way, that route. And they might come up with a number of memories. Like you said, it's not necessarily these big things that have you know, been, been on your mind 100% of the time, but it might be a moment where they didn't get picked for the basketball team, or they saw their parents have a fight, or they were dismissed by someone they had feelings for.
0: And that is the somatic piece, correct? It's, it's, it's when you're asking, where do you feel this in the body? Mm. Or what are you experiencing on a body level?
1: Yeah, it could be. I mean, typically when we think of a memory, we think of the image, right? Like, what's the movie that plays in my head? That's my memory, right? But actually, memories are stored in lots of different ways. They're stored in our thoughts. They're stored in our emotions. They're stored in our feelings. They're stored in our body sensations, which is what you're talking about, and they're stored energetically. And our memory networks are really, really smart. They never store a single memory on its own. Why? Yeah, what do you, oh, yeah, oh, what do you yeah. mean
0: by No, I'm just going to ask you to explain that a little bit further.
1: Yeah. Well, our brains want us to be able to make connections and learn from our experiences. You know... I've really grown to have such an incredible admiration and awe for our nervous systems and our memory networks. They work so hard for us. And unfortunately, sometimes that's to our detriment because if we've experienced a trauma and let me just say right now that all of us, anybody listening, you and I have all in fact experienced trauma of some sort because trauma is anything too much, too fast without enough support. And it's not about whether or not someone else would consider what we've been through a trauma. It's about whether or not our nervous system read the experience as a trauma.
0: That is an important distinction. I think that really helps to, for me to understand. Like, it's, it's very individualized. It's personalized. And it's just when our nervous system registers something too much, too fast what too, you're saying.
1: Too much, too fast. And if that happens, and this is where like I'll get a little bit geeky again because anybody who knows me knows that I love citing research and getting into the nitty gritty. But if too much, too fast, without enough support happens, because our brains really want this healing for us, they'll repeat and repeat and repeat this experience scenario until brain says, okay, I can make sense of this and learn from it. And sometimes this is in the form of dreams or flashbacks or just thinking, thinking. But unfortunately, as we know, many traumas simply don't make sense or our circumstances didn't provide what we needed in order to make sense of the trauma when it happened. So if you're a little boy or a little girl and your parent gets mad at you in a really big way or you get picked on at school, or you're made to take on responsibilities that are bigger than you are. Well, if your environment and caregivers can help you absorb that experience, it will move through you and the experience will just kind of make sense. Sense is made, memory gets shipped off to long-term memory, and then it can get worked in with the rest of your memory network in an adaptive way. And that's kind of what I mean when I say like, no memory exists on its own, right? Like it's always connected to something else. So when this happens, oh,
0: sorry, go ahead. Could you hear me take a big breath in like I was going to say something?
1: I could, but like, <laughs> remember, I'm trained to listen for that.
0: I was like, that was barely anything. Oh. Um, no, you, go <laughs> that's so funny. So just case in point, Carly is the real deal. She knows how to do her job. <laughs> um, I was going to, I was going to ask about, you had said, if these things happen without support, is this right. what you mean by the support?
1: um uh, what i mean by not having support is if you go through a trauma we 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 need humans like we are wired for connection i'll give you a a research example because that's what i love to do so when 9 11 happened we anticipated as the mental health field. Well, not me because I was still in elementary school, middle school, but um, the mental health field anticipated that we would see levels of PTSD skyrocket, which would make sense, right? We didn't. And the reason that we didn't was because the country was going through that together as a community. When we have somebody with us to support us to tell us it's not our fault. The experience doesn't need to be a trauma because what we learned is even though the scary thing happened, I'm safe and I'm loved and I'm cared about.
0: That reminds me, and I don't know if it necessarily fits in here, but it really reminds me of this um, paper um, uh behavioral responses for stress in females and it's you know we we all know about the fight or flight response Mm -hmm. what they discovered that there's more of a tend and befriend response in females yes i've heard of of that
1: we've added that to the fight flight freeze there is now fawn to like fawn over somebody
0: which is pretty pretty uh interesting i think it's like this this our immediate kind of reaction to stress is to kind of reach out, reach out and touch somebody, you know, like reach out and connect. It's that that human connection piece.
1: Yeah. And I think the similarity there is that what we're talking about is our, our nervous systems, whether they're pulling us away and making us freeze, making us fight, making us run, or making us take care of somebody they're really wanting us to just be safe right so even if even if it doesn't even if it doesn't feel like it that's the goal we're just wanting to be safe and seen
0: and to go back to what you had just said having somebody there to tell you like this is a big hard scary thing and also it's not your fault you didn't do anything wrong you don't deserve this not all of us have that experience but I I have found that part of the work that I do in EMDR is going back in time and like being that resource for myself yes in that moment
1: yes exactly exactly
0: and so you are really big on attachment. Um, I know this because you, it's come up in several of our conversations. Obviously, I am not a mental health professional, so <laughs> I can't really speak to what this means, but I would love for you to talk about it and how that how that relates to what we're talking about. Um, you refer to attachment as the emotional equivalent to the immune system. So I sure do. What's that all about?
1: Yeah. So... Um... We can't really talk about trauma or healing without talking about attachment because attachment is about relationships. And as I said, we as humans are wired for connection. Um, And I can think of very few circumstances where a, a trauma would occur without either A, another human present, or us needing another human to be present. So I often consider attachment to be kind of like this, both under and overlay to trauma. Yeah, our attachment systems are like the emotional equivalent to our immune system. And I will say, I can't take credit for that comparison. It came from one of my favorite neuroscience and attachment focused podcasts, but just like an immune system saves us or saves information, I should say about viruses and things that we come into contact with that it can detect and protect against future threats to our health, our attachment systems read and make sense of our early social emotional experiences And actually, research tells us that attachment styles can start to form as early as six months before we're even born. So when I say early, I know, I mean early. Um, And what this really does is it creates a blueprint for us based on our experiences with caregivers, caregivers to help guide us towards the most likely scenarios for getting our emotional needs met. I could so easily Aaron spend an entire podcast or like 12 talking about attachment and attachment styles, but I think for now, like maybe the 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 simple piece to share is that when we when we develop an attachment style, and it's not rigid, it can change over time. One of the other therapies that I offer is EFT, which we can maybe talk about a little bit if we have time, but we learn to either move closer to, to move away from, or to move both closer to and away from at the same time in order to get our emotional needs met. And really, ideally, we want an attachment system that can be flexible and secure at the same time. Um, I'm. Does, does codependency fall into this at all? Is that an
0: attachment style, or is that something that's like totally not?
1: So as an EFT therapist, we we don't really like the word codependency because what it suggests is that there's something wrong with needing another person. Oh, interesting. And actually, we really do need other people. What we would recognize is that if somebody has that, and I'm using air quotes right here, codependent style of sort of navigating their world, what their nervous system probably learned, what their blueprint wrote up for them, was that in order to get their needs met, they needed to reach, 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 as much as possible. So that's what they carry into adulthood.
0: Let's stop here for a second and we'll pick right back up because I want to answer one of the top questions I get in my business, which is what probiotic do I recommend? Now, obviously this is going to depend on the individual and what you got going on in your gut, but for a daily staple probiotic, I'm a big fan of BioCult. I've actually been using them for since Hattie was a baby, so over six years ago, um I first learned about this company. Their favorite product of mine is their boosted probiotic because it's four times the potency of their original formula. Boosted is cost-effective, it's shelf-stable, and it contains strains of lactobacilli and bifidobacteria, which are the friendly bacteria in our guts that are often really low in the people that I'm doing functional GI testing on and stool testing on. Those bifidobacteria especially, they make up 90% of the beneficial flora in our colon. So when we hear all about the microbiome and the benefits of the microbiome, a lot of what we're hearing about are those bifidobacteria. So whenever I'm looking for a probiotic or recommending a probiotic, I'm always looking to make sure that they do have different strains of bifido and biocults Boosted absolutely does. They're non-GMO, they're gluten-free, and their stability and potency are guaranteed through external lab testing. So somebody else came in and they said, yup, what they're saying is in this is actually in this. Um, and if, if you can't swallow pills or you've got kiddo who can't swallow pills, you can break the capsules apart and sprinkle the contents into food or drink, like oatmeal, yogurt, or smoothie or something like that. And of course, you can just swallow them whole. So head over to biocult.com, use code FUNK. 20, so you can save 20% and get your gut feeling good. All right. Now we're back. Oh my goodness. That is, that's pretty, um, pretty wild.
1: Isn't it? I know. So, um, I'm
0: trying to think of, of questions that people might, might have. How do you, I guess, what would be, can you like walk us through what EMDR might look like? And like, how long are you doing this? I feel like, and I know that I've said this to you before. It's like, you get to a point where you're kind of like mucking it up Mm -hmm. in the trauma for a while. And, you know, and I, I'm, I personally am at a point where I'm like, I don't want to live by these stories anymore. Like, yeah, these things happened. This is why I am the way I am. But like how much I'm getting to the point where I'm like almost fatigued by going back and like stewing around in the things that happened to me and do you ever come up against that where I wouldn't say that I'm resistant but do you come up against resistance where people are just like I am tired of doing this work of course
1: of course I mean I'd say self-work and healing burnout is really real. I've experienced it as a client myself and I've experienced it as a therapist. And I think it can be especially common for people who have perhaps been on a quest to heal for a long time. Um, And I'm a big fan of honoring those messages that might be telling us to slow down or pause because sometimes they're a signal to us that we really need time to integrate, You know, time to shed a layer in order to understand the work we've done. And I'm also totally understanding that people have emotional goals they wanna reach. And so in instances where the fatigue is sending a message, I'll explore a couple options with people. The first, and this can be typically helpful if there's like a time sensitive goal or a sense of urgency is to condense therapy. So this is not an option for all kinds of therapy. Like you're saying like, talk therapy you can only take so much right but for therapies like EMDR where we have a goal we have a target there's more internal work and less talking i'll often work with people in chunks of time ranging from a half day to a couple days in a row and i'll let them know from the beginning that you know i don't i don't want them in therapy forever check-ins and tune-ups are one thing but really we want healing and sense of self which i'd love to talk about if we have time to be fully present so that people can be out there living their lives and intensive or condensed therapy can make that happen. But the second option is to consider whether there's another less activating way to encourage continued healing and integration, whether it's body work or energy work or acupuncture or Bowen. You know, taking time to let the body synthesize can sometimes create actually more meaningful experiences when you do step back into therapy and i just want to say and i think you know Erin, you you can probably relate to this as a practitioner um i work with a lot of women who've had experiences over their lives where the message received was someone other than you a romantic partner a parent a healthcare provider someone other than you knows what your body needs or or what you need better than you do. So it's really important to me that I don't turn into one more person sending that message. And so while I might have a clinical opinion about, you know, what could help somebody reach their goals above and beyond, what's most important is that they listen to their internal compass. So if, if there's fatigue happening, you know, check in with that. It's there for a reason.
0: I have definitely found that uh, in the beginning, having more back-to-back appointments were, was really helpful. Kind mm-hmm. of like that—that that intense that in, uh, getting—I don't know, ripping the Band-Aid off. I don't know. Well, sometimes but, I'll
1: describe it as like you get into the rhythm of it, right? Like if if every time you feel like you're having to catch your therapist up, then true, yeah, it just feels like you're spinning your wheels.
0: But then after a while, I'm like I this feels like a lot and i actually need time to integrate this and, mm-hmm. and implement this into my life you yeah, know yeah. it's like if you were going to a nutritionist once a week and every week they were giving you a, a ton of like new food or new things to do you you don't have the time to actually like implement that into your right. life and to affect change and to see how things show up and change while you're making those implementations
1: yeah exactly yeah i, I you know it might be weird to imagine but therapists are clients too. And in fact, in my experience, helpers and and healers often have the most work to do because that journey is just part of our path. But for years and years, I was going to weekly therapy and I was working more or less on anxiety across a different, you know, a variety of different situations. And I had an amazing therapist and did some great work, but at some point I did start to feel that sense of fatigue and I had to have this honest conversation with myself and ask, okay, like, is this fatigue a signal that something's coming to a point of closure transition, or is it like some defensive action trying to protect me? Um, and what I identified was that I was working with an identifier anxiety that no longer really felt complete to me. It, felt like there was more to the story. And so I took time away from traditional talk therapy, focused on energetic body work, got some mentorship. And after some time, what the universe kind of started presenting me with was this deeper understanding of my anxiety. And what I started to understand was that a lot of parts of it were actually shame. And shame work tends to be pretty different, deeper than anxiety work. And I really believe like if I hadn't taken that time away, it wouldn't have been able to tune into the unfolding right i think what you're saying and i just want to reflect back it's like it's this balance of going in and excavating working with what comes up and then integrating it into life to see how it fits because if we jackhammer our way through therapy a we're going to get exhausted and b we're not doing that reseeding that we talked about in the beginning like where's the self in that
0: yeah. And I want to touch on that word self a little bit, but I also mm-hmm. want to before say that I think the, you know, the therapy has like lost its stigma in a, for a lot of people, I think. Yes, right? sure. Yeah. I think it's a lot more normalized, thank goodness. But I still feel like some people see it as a potential weakness, like needing help. And I never felt mm-hmm. that way about therapy, but I did feel that way. I need um a lot of body work, like, Mm -hmm. like actually, like I hold so much in my physical body and I kind of used to think like, well, what, what is wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And then I realized, I'm like, no, there's... Literally nothing wrong with me. Mm -hmm. I hold space for a tremendous amount of people on a daily and weekly basis. And like, this is the way that I have to support myself. This is the way like doing these somatic release type of things, whether it's EMDR or breath work or body work or whatever, like is something that I need in order to function at my best. There's nothing wrong with me. In fact, there's something like really, really right with me that Mm I've recognize what I need in order to listen I'm a high achiever a high performer (laughs) that is not going to change anytime soon and I don't want that to change so what do I have to put in place in order to make that happen and build in my own support infrastructure and I think that working with a therapist can be one of those pieces so I just want to I want to speak to that in in case anyone's listening and, and is having that thought like oh if i need therapy for a long time there's something mm. wrong with me or any type of therapy you know any type of therapy and it there it's it's not it's not true um yeah thank you for saying that let let's go back to that that concept of self because i know you said you wanted to um you want to wanted to speak to it and i'm not sure what you're talking about oh
1: yeah well i i actually think that you do know what i'm talking about because what you described right there knowing and being able to sense for yourself that body work is just an important part of who you are, that is self. And I'll often say like it's capital S self. Um, You know, it's, it's the moments in life where we just know that the choice that we're making is what I often call like a yes moment or a no moment, right? Where our heart just sings and we just know, and the, the difficulty is that trauma and past wounds can really get in the way of, of this sort of self-energy. And I, um, if you're interested Because I love self work so much, and like even though I'm a I'm a neuroscience geek, you know this is the work of the soul too, and so I wrote up a little practice, and I don't think it will take very long. But if you think that your listeners would enjoy it, we can run through it to kind of wrap up and give people a a sense of their own self. I
0: love it. Let's do it.
1: Okay, so start by finding a, a grounded either seat or place to stand. And while you do that, I'm going to take a sip of tea so that I myself am grounded. And just start to sense the pull of the earth beneath you. And as you sense that pull beneath you, see if you can sense that deep within you, there is a most authentic an untouched part of who you are. You might call this yourself or your essence, your life force, your soul, your truth. Make contact with it and then draw a cord of energy from that place of self directly up to your third eye, that space between your eyebrows. Allow that truth to fill up your vision center, and from that place, allow yourself to fill in the blanks as I run through the following questions. You wake up in the morning, and from this place of truth, the first thing you sense about the day ahead of you is what? You get out of bed You walk over to the window and outside you see what? Seeing this thing outside your window reminds you that the most important thing on your list of things to do for yourself today is what? You move through your day getting this thing done and when it's done, you're left with a sense of what? You take a deep breath. You remind yourself that at the end of the day, the most important thing to know about yourself is that you, what, can allow yourself to play this movie over as many times as it feels supportive, each time sensing a little deeper into the truth that is you. You know, that feeling. That sense of you is what you deserve to feel and sense and know about yourself every single day. And really, that's what I'm trying to help my clients connect through processing the past. Because as I said, it's our traumas, it's our pains that block us from knowing and living this truth within us.
0: That is, I mean, that's such a simple practice that people could tap into really Mm -hmm. any, any time they need to.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think it's sort of like the parallel to memory, right? Where you're just kind of trusting your intuitive sense to fill those blanks in. You're not necessarily using your cognition or your brain. You're just, you're just, you're sensing your soul.
0: I love it. Pretty. Mm pretty cool stuff. All right. So Carly, I would love for folks to learn a little bit more about where they could find you.
1: Sure.
0: Um, tell us a little bit more about where you're at. If somebody was interested in working with you and doing one of those, um, EMDR power sessions, what are you calling them? (laughs) Not a power
1: session. (laughs) I might change it to power session though. I kind (laughs) of love that EMDR power hour. Um, Was that inappropriate? I don't know. Um, (laughs) Never. So, yeah, yes. I'd love to share that information. And let me just offer a quick disclaimer here because because I can only work with people in New Hampshire, Maine, and Massachusetts. I just want to offer a little disclaimer. Like If you're hearing this and thinking, oh my gosh, this is what I've been missing, please, please do your due diligence in finding a therapist who's going to support your body and nervous system in knowing what to do with the memories and the trauma when you get to them because what you don't want is for these traumas to get released without any support or skills or tools. You know, trauma work provides the body with an opportunity to move through now what we couldn't move through then, and we really want to set the body up for success instead of just throwing it into the past and hoping for the best. So,
0: oh, go well, ahead. I think before you go on, I think that's a really important distinction because trauma is a bit of a buzzword. Yes, uh, would you agree? Oh my
1: gosh, so much.
0: And I think we just need to be really mindful and careful with like doing the quote unquote trauma work. Yes. I mean, I'm not not to say that you have to be a licensed professional to do that, but I would be really conscientious about who you're working with and make sure that the credentialing and the experience, and yeah, maybe the licensure is all put in place.
1: I mean, what licensure means is that somebody has been through significant schooling Um, you know, to understand the stuff and actually even some licensed therapists aren't necessarily trauma informed, you know, this is, this is a specialty and just like, you know, I've heard you talk about people can become a functional practitioner in a weekend. Does that mean that they're actually providing safe functional care for people? Not necessarily.
0: All right. So that's, I think that's an important thing to, to, to throw out there because I agree wholeheartedly. Um, but go on. I didn't mean to interrupt.
1: No, no, that, that was that. I just, it felt like an important thing to share. So, so yeah, I, um, I am on social media. My Instagram handle is the.integrative.emdr.therapist. I will say that I'm not Um, probably as active as I should be given that it's a social media platform. Um, and I'm very careful about, you know, not interacting with clients to protect confidentiality, but it's a public profile and, you know, I, I share more information about, um, emotionally focused therapy, couples therapy, EMDR. Um, and so feel free to, to, you know, take a peek at that. My website, which was also just redone and is, if I do say so myself gorgeous. Um is www.soulsnestcounseling.com and that has a ton of information also about the work that I do.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much. This was an informative episode um especially if somebody's looking to dip their toe in the EMDR world. Mm-hmm. So, I appreciate you sharing all of your expertise with us.
1: Oh, I appreciate you having me on. All right. Thank you, Carly. Take care.
0: Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you got something from today's show, don't forget, subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.